0: Just fills me with a sense of awe every time I stand in front of a group of your people and speak, because I know that there's a there's a tendency to want to say my own thing and not your thing. so I yield myself to you, Holy Spirit. I pray for your filling. I pray that you will lead and guide us. I pray that you will you will show us your word. I pray for your filling and your leading. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, um. I came across this a couple years ago, and I had it all written out in my my journal. And I didn't know what it was for, but last week as I was listening to Pastor Donna's message about the church waking up, I, I, just, I just felt like maybe, maybe it's for now. Maybe it's for now. So I came to her after the service, and I said, uh, do you have something lined up for next week? She said, no. And I said, can I? And she said, yeah. So that's pretty, pretty cool, I think, you know, that you can do that in this church. Um, this is the church, and I'll tell you what, I mean, I spend probably more time with her than a lot of you do. And I can tell you, um, she knows that this church is not about her. And, she, and I know it's not about me, even if I do, you know, multiple functions on certain Sundays. It's not about me. Not about me. If it, if it was, nothing, nothing would ever get accomplished. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's about the life of Jesus. And it's about the community. There's something incredible and powerful about the community. You know, God makes each one of us unique. And one of the things that he has done in me, my personal design, is that I like to be a detective. I like to solve mysteries. I like to I like to figure out how all the little pieces fit together and be able to create a puzzle out of it. Um, and it, I, I love the verse in Proverbs 25, too. It says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. And I don't know if that means I'm a king or, or what, but I, I love to search it out. And what I've discovered is that in the Bible, God has just, he's planted little bits here and there, just little tiny bits. And if you just read it through and just to, you know, kind of just rush through it or whatever, there's an awful lot that you miss. And this is why it's so important to read the Bible continually, year after year after year after year. Because the things he's showing me this year, and I can tell you, and and Pastor Don and I have talked about this, and I know some of the rest of you are in the same. This year, 2020, we are seeing things in the Bible that we have never seen before. They're, they're, They're jumping out at us. But that wouldn't be happening if I hadn't read through the Bible a whole bunch of times before now. Because there's a foundation that gets laid. And, and you know, so, so one of the things that I love doing is just digging in there and trying to find all those little bits that God has has kind of woven through there, and try to put them all together. And there's some things I've been working on for decades, and and I don't I don't like to reveal stuff until I feel like I know that I've got it. Okay, so there's a whole lot cooking up here that that I, I won't even say yet, but hopefully some someday soon. So anyway, um, something, certain things jump out at me. I, I, I love to notice repeating patterns. Like when you see something happen here, and then it's like almost exactly the same thing. Or when there's word groupings that are really, really similar. Like I'll be reading a passage, and I'll think, wait a minute, that reminds me of these. And a lot of times when you go over and you look at those other passages, it, it unlocks meaning that you might not have got there. You know, God knows what he's doing. I mean, this the word is just so intricately interwoven. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. But, but um, it's just... It's it's this amazing mesh that God puts together, and I, I know that I haven't even scratched the surface. I you know I I, I sit there and wonder all the time, but so a couple years ago I was reading Isaiah 32, and there's some things that just jumped out at me. So I, I want to read a little bit of that. This is um, this is a section that's really it's clearly about Jesus' return to Earth. We just got through singing that song, "Even So, Come, Lord Jesus, Come," and this is really what it's about. So let me just read this to you, Isaiah thirty-two, thirteen through 20. For your land will be overgrown with thorns and briars. Does that remind you, by the way, of the curse? Remember when Adam and Eve were cursed and God said that the land was going to produce thorns and briars? Okay, so there's, there's a connection. There's, a, there's one of those little word connections that I'm talking about, okay? Um, your land will be overgrown with thorns and briars. Your joyful homes and happy towns will be gone. The palace and the city will be deserted and busy towns will be empty until at last the spirit is poured out on us from heaven. Then the wilderness will become a fertile field and the fertile field will become a lush and fertile forest. Justice will rule in the wilderness and righteousness in the fertile field. And this righteousness will bring peace. Yes, it will bring quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in safe quietly at home they will be at rest so you come a long way don't you you start out talking about how the land's overgrown with thorns and briars it's a mess your your towns are all destroyed the city's deserted towns are empty i even left out a couple other verses just to try to shorten things a little bit but i mean it's a mess does that sound familiar (laughs) does that sound like the world that we live in right now i I don't know about you but i'm thinking it's a mess I'm thinking this is where we're at. And then there's that one incredible word there. It says, until, until, until at last the spirit is poured out. And then he goes through and he walks through this progression. Remember we're talking about this wilderness with all the thorns and briars. And it says the wilderness will become a fertile field and the fertile field will become a lush and fertile forest. So you see a progression and, and so you see the desolation, you know, the land was all messed up. Then you see the rain, which is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is referred to as rain. And you, you see these images in, in many, many sections in Scripture. God is constantly talking about streams in the desert and making the dry places turn into lush forests. And, and it, it, you know, in, in picture terms, it's, it's this mindset of barrenness turning into fruitfulness. Uh, and, you know, so then you have this wilderness and eventually it turns into a f- fertile field and then eventually that turns into lush forest. But what's interesting to me is I have a lot of other interests other than just the Bible. There's a lot of subjects that I just really, really dig into. And one of them is permaculture. Has Does anybody know the word permaculture? It might be new for some of you, okay? At least there's one person here. Um, And I'm not asking all of you to go out and learn it, but I I feel that part of my calling in life, and I think this is a down-the-road, long-term project, but part of my calling in life is to help restore the soil of the earth, and that's what permaculture is all about. Um, It's about looking at how the earth works naturally and asking ourselves, what can we do in order to try to work with it instead of against it? Because right now, our soil is in terrible, terrible condition. I've seen reports, and these are from like the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This isn't just some wacko with a tinfoil hat, you know, and some crazy podcast talking. I mean, you know, we're getting from the government source that says that our soil has 80% fewer minerals in it than what it did like 100 years ago. So, of course, this is what goes into the food we eat, right? So, if we're sick... It might be because we're not getting the minerals and nutrients that we need, right? Because we've been using methods that don't match the way God created the earth. So as I studied permaculture, I, I started learning that there's there's certain patterns that happen. And you'll notice this. Like, think of a spot where, um, like, there's a subdivision that goes in. And, you know, they take this beautiful forest, and they come and cut down all of the trees and get rid of them, right? So you get this big old area, and they carve it out, and they put streets in, and then you just got these empty lots, right? You get a wilderness. Well, what starts growing? If you've ever bought one of those houses, you know exactly what happens because you have this empty land and you see it all sitting around and all of a sudden these weeds start growing up everywhere, right? Because nature does not like barrenness. Nature does not like to just be empty. So as long as there's a water source, as long as there's rain or irrigation or something like that, nature will naturally take this wilderness and start growing weeds. And we look at it and go, yuck, ooh, weeds, terrible. Get rid of them. But that's actually God's plan. It's actually his plan because what the weeds do, first of all, they cover the ground so that the soil doesn't get eroded. Second, they have really, really deep roots. You ever notice how hard it is to get rid of weeds? It's because the roots go deep. They go really, really deep and they pull nutrients up. From the below. And as they bring the nutrients up, then you're starting to get the, the ground becomes a little bit more and a little bit more uh, more fertile. Well, then after a while, if just left to itself, you start seeing shrubs grow. It's not just weeds, but you start seeing bushes and shrubs and stuff like that. And then eventually, the natural end result of any area of the earth where there is adequate rain is that it will turn into a forest. So a perfect world is a fully forested world. And that's one of the, actually, in in permaculture, it's kind of about gardening, but you try to create what they call food forests, and you build these interrelationships with trees that have food on them, but then plants that surround them that help build the soil and help drive off pests and all that. It's it's a beautiful thing. But I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, wow, I see this thing in Isaiah 32, and then I see this this thing in permaculture, and I think, wow, God knows about permaculture. That's pretty cool. (laughs) That's pretty cool. But it, it's it's trying to teach us and show us what it takes in order to take a barren land and turn it into a lush, beautiful forest. And in Isaiah, he, he gets real specific. He he equates certain things. He equates the wilderness with justice. He equates the the fertile fields with righteousness. And he equates the forest with peace. The, the words themselves are, justice will rule in the wilderness and the wilderness in the f- and the righteousness in the fertile field, and this righteousness will bring peace. And so what I've done is I, I've, I've begun my 12 steps to the peace of God, the shalom, peace, reign of Jesus, and I'm working backwards, okay? So I hope this doesn't confuse any of us that are, you know, like, you know, a number number challenge or anything like that, but I'm going to start at the end and, and work backwards. So let's talk about peace first. Peace. When you talk about shalom, you're talking about, an all-encompassing sense of well-being, where we are on right relationships with all people. We have security. We have safety. We don't have to worry about getting invaded. We have adequate food. We have adequate health. Um, we have good relationships. This We have contentment. We have harmony. We have joy. That's what shalom peace is. Shalom is a whole lot better than when we go, peace, brother, you know, that kind of thing. It's a whole lot bigger. And, and, and this is what the reign of Jesus on earth is like. This is the goal. So when we sing, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come, we are crying out, God, we want peace. We want to experience that time of your reign. We want to experience right relationships with all people, security, safety. We want adequate food, not only for ourselves, but everybody. Because if one person doesn't have adequate food, then we are not in shalom. If one person does not have health, then we are not in shalom. Shalom. Bible says God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. All tears. So this is what we look for. This is what we long for. And this is what we work for. Now, I'm going to interrupt this with a, my background, okay? And many of you probably are in a similar situation. My background as a Christian. I grew up in churches where we anticipated that there would be this rapture that God would come and snatch us up out of the earth. And I don't think that they ever said it this way, but this is how I heard it. This is what, how I interpreted it as a little boy or teenager or whatever. Um, is okay. The Earth is going to get really, really bad. Everything's really, really going to just go terrible. And when it gets really, really bad, then God's going to take us out of here so they he can just destroy everybody, and then he'll bring us back. You know. And that's kind of how I interpreted it. And, and, and my mindset, honestly, this is um, this is a defeatist mindset. And and and, and look, in, in terms of when the rapture, I do believe that there's a rapture. I do believe that. I don't honestly know when it's going to come. I'm kind of hoping it is before all the trouble, you know, because it would be a whole lot easier. <laughs> but I don't, I'm don't. i not sure. I'm not sure. But there's something in me that doesn't like the idea that we don't really do our job, and then God pulls us out of here and destroys everybody because we didn't do our job. Do you follow my logic there? That's kind of ugly. I don't think we should be content with that. I, I, I think... You know, and there's these, there, there's different branches of theology where, you know, some people believe that Jesus comes in and brings his reign on earth. And then others believe that, no, no, we as a church bring in this. Look, again, I don't know. I've, I've heard the arguments on both sides. They're all 15 sides or whatever it is, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, all of them have something that makes a little bit of sense. And my guess is God's smart enough to figure out a way where they all, when, when all is said and done, we're all going to see what it is that we are seeing. And we're going, wow, God, you are amazing. That's that's what I think is going to happen. But but my gut tells me, why don't we work for it? Maybe we're wrong. Maybe Jesus is going to come in and make it happen. But wouldn't it be better if we tried? If we tried to live to bring about peace on earth for all nations, for all people, wouldn't it be better? And so that's kind of what I'm dedicated to. And, And, you know, if I'm wrong, great. You know, I'll do the best I can. We'll try to make a difference in as many people's lives as we can. Then God will snatch us up. And guess what? There will be more people that get snatched with me if I'm doing my job. Right? Right? Okay. So I just showed you that I don't really understand theology really well. And that's okay because I'm trusting God's going to work it out. That's the big picture. Okay, so peace is this perfect shalom. Righteousness is really about relationships. It's about being on the right standing with others. So if we enter into a covenant with two people or two parties or two groups or whatever, each of them has certain rights and responsibilities. And I have an obligation to you and you have an obligation to me. So righteousness is the condition that exists when we are in right standing with other, with, with each other. When I'm doing right by you, when you're doing right by me, it's cool. We're all good, right? Um, if I buy a widget from you, but don't pay you for it, and keep not paying you for it, and I don't know what widgets are either. That's just what we always use. Um, then we're not in right relationship, right? I have violated the terms of my covenant or th- with you. you. You agreed to sell me this widget. I agreed to give you money, and I didn't do it. And so if we're not in right terms, and that's what the lack of righteousness is. Now, you might try to say, yeah, but we're really not in covenant with everybody. We're really not. I mean, you know, I didn't sign anything saying that, um, you know, I have a responsibility for everybody in the human race, right? Well, Cain tried that argument too. Remember, when when God came at, C- at Cain and said, hey, um, buddy, where's where, where's Abel? What did Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? Eh, wrong answer. It's wrong answer for Cain. It's the wrong answer for me. Because God has put us on this earth to love all of mankind, to do what's right by all of mankind, to to try to live for righteousness. So the Bible talks about righteousness, and the same is true with God. You know, righteousness is being on right relationship with him, and he on right relationship with us. Of course, he always is. He always fulfills his end of the bargain, but we don't always. And the problem is that we have a hard time making it right on our own, and that that's where Jesus comes in because he's able to take... He's able to take the punishment that we deserve, reestablish righteousness. He's able to give us a righteousness. But, see, here's the thing. If, if we are on equal terms, like you and I are equally strong in, in whatever, you know, whether it's our wealth or whether it's our power or legal influence or whatever, and one of us violates the covenant, for the most part, we're able to kind of work it all out because we're on equal terms. But what happens when there are some who are stronger and some who are weaker? The ones that are in power, the, the leaders, the politicians, the, the ones who have all of the money, the ones who control the educational networks, the, the media networks, the, the the big businesses, the the ones that we constantly depend on. What happens when those in power violate the covenant with those that are in a weak position? That is injustice. That's injustice. And ideally... The courts are going to fix this. But that brings me to the third term is justice. So we started with peace. That's the shalom reign of Jesus. Righteousness is being on right relationships. But when that doesn't happen, it's injustice. And so that brings us to justice. Justice is the process of rectifying the wrongs. So when we think of justice, we think of the justice system, right? We think of the courts. If I have an issue, I go to court. But again, let's be honest. Courts are stacked in favor of those that can afford good lawyers. That's not justice. We shouldn't be content with this, right? We should, we should not be content. But ideally, when there's an issue, we go to the judge. The judge listens to the case. The judge renders the decision, renders the judgment. And hopefully, hopefully whatever the judgment ends up being is something that satisfies both parties. It, it doesn't seem like it works out that way as well if we'd like it to, does it? Sometimes a, a payoff isn't really what you wanted, right? if you even get that out of the deal. You know, in, in terms of the justice, we're talking about the reign of Jesus on earth, and it does start with judgment, right? It says that, that Jesus is going to come and judge the earth, and he's going to judge all the rulers of the earth. Um, what I think is interesting is that we as a church have a role in that, and that's, I want to take you to a couple verses to look at that. This is in Revelation chapter 6, um, when when... The lamb is opening the seven seals that I believe are the title deed for the right to rule and reign on earth. And, he, and he, you have the first four, and that's the four horsemen of the Acopoly, apocalypse. I can't pronounce things today. Um, but then you get to the fifth seal in Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And by the way, I believe that this is right where we are historically, is, is in this section. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord of God, the Lord, and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters Their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred had joined them. So God is going to judge, and he judges in response to the prayers of his people. Have you ever thought of that? That we have a role in this. We're not just sitting waiting to get snatched up out of here. We're we're praying. That's part of what we do in intercession. intercession I you know we we lay before God the injustices and it's easy to talk about the injustices to us but we have to be looking at the injustices to others because the righteous reign of Jesus will not happen as long as all those injustices well the interesting thing is that God God judges us first James 4 17 says for the time has come for judgment and it must begin where with God's household if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who would never obey God's good news? So the shalom reign of Jesus doesn't happen. It doesn't just happen. It gets established by justice. But it starts in us. Because, you know, we can, we can pray all we want. We can cry out to God against the unjust rulers of this world and unjust politicians and unjust evil corporations and companies and all that kind of stuff. But if we're not living it ourselves, I don't, I mean, can we really expect our prayers to get answered? I mean, it starts here. It starts here. It starts in my life. It starts in my heart. It starts in the church. I think that's what's happening in 2020. I think God is separating the church. I don't remember if I've said it in this setting or not. I know I've said it to a few people, but I've noticed, uh, like, when when you, you watch sports, and, and I've given up all sports. That's one of the things I've done in the year 2020. I've given up all sports. Um, big sacrifice because I love football. But... Uh, um, when you watch the sports, there's nobody in the stands. And I felt like God was telling me, there's no spectators anymore in the church. This, this is not a point in time when you can just kind of go along with it and just just watch. There's no, it, it, there's no room for spectators. You've got to pick a side. And honestly, too many of the people in the church of Jesus Christ um, have kind of had one foot in one team and one foot in the other team. And we're doing all the God stuff over here, but we're really not always living it. Not always living it. I think you've got to pick. I think that's what God's doing. I think God is judging his household and, he, and and as Pastor Donna always said, he reveals to heal he doesn't He doesn't judge us to condemn us, He judges us to to cleanse us and to purify us. That's the phrase that we've been hearing over and over again among several of us clean or pure heart, clean hands, pure heart, clean hands, pure heart, clean hands all right. So we're talking about these three things. We got uh, we got justice that leads to righteousness that leads to peace. But let's work. Let's keep working backwards. So I want to look at Isaiah chapter 59. Another path. I love, by the way. I, you know, if, if I speak here very often, you'll see lots of things from the book of Isaiah. It just give you a heads up. If you want to get a head start, just go ahead and start reading it because it's, it's a fantastic book. If you were to look through the book of Isaiah and underline or highlight every time you find him talking about justice. You should do this. You should do this. You'll be amazed. He talks about it all the time. Justice and righteousness. Okay. Isaiah 59. We look for justice, but it never comes. We look for rescue, but it's far away from us. For our sins are piled up before God and testify against us. Yes, we know what sinners we are. We know that we have rebelled and have denied the Lord. We have turned our backs on our God. We know how unfair and oppressive we have been carefully planning our deceitful lies. Our courts oppose the righteous and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets and honesty has been outlawed. I would add the word censored. I think today truth has been censored. I've kind of been trying to encourage people to stop using Google as your search engine because Google doesn't let you get everything. If you haven't discovered this, you need to. Google doesn't let you find everything. Okay, so I'm gonna sidetrack a little bit. Should I go should I go there and yeah, DuckDuckGo duck go is what I use. Duck duck go. <laughs> duck duck go. That's what I use. There's others that are out there. I don't know. I mean most of them use Google's they use Google's search engine itself. They just don't necessarily use Google's analytics or whatever, but so I don't I don't even know for sure if I can trust any of them. When you watch the evening news, did you know that 60% of the advertisements on the evening news are from pharmaceutical companies? 60%. So, so, think they're going to tell you the truth about health? I don't think they are. I don't think they are. I've done a lot of research over the years, and I've discovered that, oh, about 100 years ago, a group of people got together they did a thing called the Flexner Report, where they sent some people around. This was funded by the Rockefellers and Carnegie's. Um, they sent some people around to all of the medical training colleges in the nation. And they basically decided, okay, these are the ones who we approve of, and these are the ones who we don't approve of. The ones that they approved of were the ones that prescribed lots of pharmaceuticals. Oh, by the way, they owned pharmaceutical companies as well. Yeah, you think we're getting the truth? I don't believe so. Anyway, that was a side note. That was a side note. (laughs) To me, it fits in, though, because this is justice. It is not just for people to have bad health so that some people can get mega, 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 mega rich in pharmaceutical companies. That is not justice. That is exploitation. That is an evil. I have a little index card at home where I have 12 evils in this world that I pray against, that they will be exposed and that they will be brought down and that righteousness will come in. That's one of them. That's one of them. You know, there's, there's a bunch of others. You know, the, some of the ones that we talk about a lot, you know, abortion and sex trafficking and things. I mean, these things have to come down. They have to. This is injustice. All right. Off my sidetrack. Okay. Where was I? <laughs> so, all right. Yeah, I got I got sidetracked on the word censored, which isn't even in the Bible. <laughs> all right. Truth stumbles in the streets and honesty has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. Yeah? Sound like today? Anyone who renounces evil is attacked? The Lord looked and was displeased to find that there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm. Who are we talking about, class? Jesus, we're talking about, you you know how like in Sunday school, you know, when you're a kid and any question that the teacher asks, the answer is Jesus. It definitely is right here, okay? He himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as his body armor. He placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself with a cloak of divine passion. Because God has passion for people and Jesus has passion for people. And if we're filled with the life of Jesus, we have passion for people. So what we see in there is that we, we, we see at the beginning of this thing just how bad the injustice had become. I apologize. I think my font's too small, isn't it? Can anybody even read that? Sorry, but it's better there than it is there. And, um, anyway, we, we see just how bad justice injustice had become. We see that our sins are piled up before God and testify against us. We see that God wants someone to intervene. And since nobody did it, Jesus did. Jesus came and did it. Jesus intervened. There's no answer to the injustices in the world that do not involve Jesus Christ. See, th- One of the problems that we have right now, and I'm going to get to this a little bit. I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself. But we're trying to come up with human solutions for problems that can't be solved by human. The, the problems, and, and, you know, who's responsible for the problems, whether this is a, a concerted, concerted effort by, you know, evil conglomerates, it really doesn't matter. There's no solution other than Jesus. And I, I know that for some people that sounds that sounds weak because, you know, okay, well, you know, I, I know that you don't have any food or anything like that, but accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and then you'll be okay. That, that's not what we're saying. We're not, we're not trying to dumb it down and simplify it. But, but ultimately, if we are not driven by the love of Jesus, then there's no, we're not going to solve any problems. And I, I believe, you know, earlier I said that the time has come for the judgment of the church. Pastor Donna sent out an email this morning and in it, the, to the intercessors. And in it she said, I will say it again and again. We are in this situation because of the churches of our nation. God will hold churches accountable and refuse to stand for what is in the Bible. Who refused to stand for what is in the Bible? Uh, see, there's problems in the world. And Isaiah points that out. It says our sins are ultimately the problem, it's ultimately the cause of all the injustice. And as much as we would like to be able to point out there at others, it has to start in here. It has to start in here. And so this is going to bring us to the next steps on the 12 step plan or the previous steps, steps eight and nine. Um, the, there's only one solution for sin, and that's confession and repentance. Confession is where you agree with God that what his word says is true and that what you have done does not align with. It's agreeing with God. That's what confession is. Repentance is choosing to go the opposite direction. And here's one of the problems that we have within the, the, the church in America is that too many people call themselves Christians who have never repented. Repent means you're walking one direction and you stop, And you turn around and you walk the other direction. And there's just a whole lot of people who walk this direction and say, yeah, you know what, Jesus? Yeah, come on, you can be my Lord and Savior. I'll pray the sinner's prayer. And they don't change directions. Look, I'm not God. I don't know what's in a person's heart. I don't know how he defines salvation. But when I look at that, I don't see that as being salvation. At least... I'm going to feel a lot more confident in whether or not I'm in right relationship with God if I'm walking this way. If I'm walking this way and thinking that I'm okay, I should, I should worry about it a little bit, okay? All right. All right. Confession and repentance. So what leads you to confess that God's way is right? What do you need to know first in order to confess that God's way is right? You have to know the word, right? So we're going to keep backing up, and we're going to get to a verse in Amos chapter eight and 11, chapter eight, verses eleven to twelve. Amos says, "The time is surely coming," says the Sovereign Lord, "when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but on hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it." God's word is the answer to the social problems, but God's word also reveals the depths of our own heart. You know, when, when we talk about the repentance and confession, it makes me think about a time, this was like about 150 years ago when I was in Bible college, okay? And we, we had chapel every day, and there was a speaker that they brought in, and I I don't remember his name, but his message was repent. I think he said the word repent like 150,000 times during that sermon. I mean, he just said it over and he, he, he would roll his, his R's. So you need to repent. You know? And I don't, I mean, I don't think he was even like Hispanic. You know, I just like, you know, I, just, I don't know what the deal was, but we were like making fun of him. Because he was just like irritating us and he was all worked up over this and we've, and, and I remember it was one person that had to get out and go to the bathroom and so they are like walking out and he stopped them. You know, I see you trying to run from the face of God and all that kind of stuff and the guy was here hiding behind a pillar and, 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 and like the, the, the preacher said, and just like Adam and Eve in the garden tried to hide from God, you know, it's like that poor guy, I, I, I suppose he wet his pants or something, I don't know, but. Okay, I mean, it's funny, Thinking back on it, but we didn't feel the need, and that's just the problem—we don't feel the need. You know, now 150 years later, when I think back on that, this guy was right. We needed to repent, and I needed to repent because I thought that my relationship with God was stronger than what it really is. But the only way you really ever get that is to look at the Word, and I think that's one of the problems that we face in our society today. Today, is um, we're we're asking the wrong questions. You, and with, with all of the problems that we see and everything and all the suggested fixes, and this is, honestly, this is true on both sides of the political spectrum. If, if we're not looking at God's solutions, we're, we're, we're going to get the wrong, wrong solutions. But I don't even think we're asking the right questions. You know, like, let's, let's go back to the thing I, I mentioned earlier, um, you know, where I believe that if one person isn't healthy, then we're not at peace. And therefore, we should want health for everybody. And one of the things that we talk about in, in, in the political discussion is health care for everybody, right? And I'm going to say this. I agree with health for everybody. I agree with health for everybody. That should be our goal, and that's what we should work for. But if our solution to that is to spend a lot of money to push people into a medical system that's broken and is not working and is not producing health, I think we're asking the wrong question. I think we're asking the wrong question. And I think we need to backtrack a little bit and ask bigger questions like, what is health? Which is actually one of the, you know, I would love to get off on this sidetrack, but I've been reading a book in the last week, you know, we got this fast coming up. And so one of the books I'm reading is about the science behind it. You know, from a physical standpoint, man, fasting is good for you. There's one, there's one quote in that book where this person, this wasn't the author, but it was one of the people he quoted, says that fasting is the only medicine America needs. Because when you fast, when you go for a period of time where you basically break your your slavery to sugar, and you move into a fat-burning stage, because most of us have enough there that we can burn it for a few days, if not weeks, right? Right? But when you do that, and when you rest your digestive system, then the energy, and there's a tremendous amount of energy that goes to digestion. So think about it. If you eat like every three or four hours, your body is always in digestion mode, and the energy that could go for healing doesn't, and, and it, it's almost kind of like you, you know, with when the, sh- the shutdown first came in, and a lot of people were were uh, they were sitting at home because they they weren't able to go to work, and then they they were home, and so they decided, you know what, that that thing I wanted to fix around the house, let me fix it. That's that's what happens when you fast. The energy that you used to be expending on on digestion now can be diverted to healing, and and there's some amazing things. Your body, one of the first things it does is it starts to eat up the old senescent cells, the old dead cells that aren't really doing you any good, and and that's um th- that that's really really a good thing. And then it, it not only eats them up, but it redigests them and reabsorbs them and makes new cells and you make stem cells. And one of the things that he talked about in this book is how um, if you're fasting over a period of several days. You might start to feel injuries that your body had years and years ago. That you're starting to feel them again because your body's finally getting a chance to heal it, and and it sends those new stem cells to work and it starts healing things up. And, and um, it just you know I'm reading that book. I'm just like I can't wait for Friday to get here. You know, so I'm I'm excited. Somewhere anyway, we're asking the wrong questions. And I mean, even when you think about government. I work for the United States government, okay? I'm a a mail carrier, so I get to say some of the things I'm going to say because I'm in them. The post office is probably the most efficiently run organization in the federal government. They have to be because they have to make their own financial ends meet. We have to pay our own way, and we do it through stamps and postage and all that kind of stuff. We can't just raise taxes. We have financial accountability. And we're really, really really run poorly, (laughs) We are. We, I mean, it, it could be run so much better. I mean, a lot of times, you know, it, and I look at that and I think, what about the agencies of the government that don't have any financial accountability at all? If they're not making ends meet, all they do is put some pressure on somebody to give them more money. And when you really, really think about it, the bigger government, get, most of the government programs are to deal with issues. They're basically putting Band-Aids on issues instead of fixing them. You know, you're dealing with poverty, dealing with addictions, dealing with crime. There's a lot of money that goes into those things. The mental health. We shouldn't pride ourselves in how big our government is. Because if, if that's the case, that means there's lots of problems in our country. And my thing is, why don't we fix the problems? And I know it's too big. There's nothing that Dan Conklin can do to go out and solve all the problems in the nation. But what I can do is to make a difference within my circle of influence. All of us know people that could use a little bit of help. All of us know people that could use a little bit of comfort and encouragement. And I feel like the church has really, really lost its opportunity over the last hundred years or so by trusting the government to solve problems that, according to God's word, I believe it's our, it's our, it's our call. It's our call. You know, the Bible talks continually about caring for the poor. You know, so, I don't know. Let's move on. <laughs> um so there's a, need, there's a need for the Word of God. And when we dig into the Word, not only do we find what the solutions are, but we also find what it is about us that's not right that we need to fix. Um, I've been looking through the book of Second Chronicles. That's, that's a picture of the nation of Judah in the Old Testament. And they would have these ups and downs. They would have these occasional periods where they follow God with all their heart. Uh, and then most of the time they wouldn't. They would get caught up in idolatry and they would follow all of the practices of the pagans around them and, and um, you know, they would worship false gods and they would involve in, themselves in all kinds of um, wrong sexual practices and they would sacrifice their babies to Moloch and to Baal and things of that nature and they, they did those types of things and the Bible says that pollutes the land and, and problems would come and the solution to the problem would always be that they would need to return to the Lord but they would never get there until they got a sense of desperation because when the problems are just kind of little you don't, ever get where, you, you don't ever get to the point where you've got to fix them. I think that's, again, I think that's where we are right now. Because in, in the year 2019, there was a lot of problems, but maybe they were small enough that we felt like we could just deal with it. Or, or we felt like, ah, we can just, you know, we can kick the can down the road. We can worry about it later. We can let our children worry about it. We, none of us will ever say it, but the, the fact that we don't do something about it is saying, let's let our children deal with it. That's, you know... Um, I think now there's a sense of desperation. I think that's part of why we're you know we're we're, we're seeking God this period of fasting because we we realize that the, the decisions that are going to be made soon. They may be irreversible. They may be irreversible. You know, if if we go socialist, there's not a United States to bail us out. <laughs> they may be irreversible, and 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 I I think that we're. We're at a higher level of desperation. There's also, um, one of the things that would drive the people to God was hunger. Um, When their land would get invaded by foreign armies, that the city, typically cities had walls around them in those days. and, And so the foreign army would surround it, and they would besiege the city, and they would cut off their food supply. And eventually, you'd get hungry enough that you start asking difficult questions. Like, hmm, does Joe or Bill look tastier to me? Yeah, Um, those aren't questions that any of us want to ask, right? But that's what they did. And so a lot of times, this would drive people to fervent fasting and prayer. Desperation, hungry, and then they'd seek a prophet. You see this several times. They try to find a prophet that would tell them what to do. And I was thinking about this, and, and tell me what you guys think about this. Prophets are what God sends to his people who aren't reading the Bible, If there's a lot of prophets around, that's because people aren't reading on their own. And they need somebody to wake them up. If there's a lot of prophets, that's not a good sign. That means that judgment is coming or you're not reading the word. Now, I, you know, I, I feel like I have a, a, a role in the prophetic realm. And so, you know, I'm kind of trying to write myself out of a job when I say things like that. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Focus on the teaching side. not the. But um, in, anyway... Trying to make sure I, I take all these side roads, and the next thing you know, it's going to be three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> all right, so let's look at Second Chronicles chapter seven, verses thirteen and fourteen. Might have to back up a little bit for that. Yeah, you know, a lot of times we talk about Second Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people who are called by my name. But let's look at the verse before it. it says, at times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops. Or send plagues among you. I don't know how much you read about world news, but all three of those things are happening in the year 2020. All three of them. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, here's the promise I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. By the way, when there's a promise in the Bible, there's almost always a condition. There are very, very, very few promises where God says, you know what? I'm just going to come from heaven, and I'm going to forgive. No, there's conditions. There's conditions. Humble themselves. A lot of times, humble themselves means fast in the Old Testament. Pray. Seek my face. I think seek my face is an interesting term because we're talking about relationship. We're talking about knowing God. And and I know that for me, one of the things as we go into this 40-day period of fasting that I am focusing on is I want to know God better. I want to hear the voice of God in a way I've never heard. I want to see the things that God is doing in a way that I've never seen. I want, you know, I read Jesus' life when he talks about how he doesn't do anything that he doesn't see the Father doing. Every single step of his life was in dependence upon the Father. And then he says, go and do thou likewise. I mean, this is what we're supposed to be. Our days are supposed to be filled with a relationship with God. And that starts by seeking his face. That starts by knowing him. It starts by, and I, you know, I'm not where I want to be on that. I'm not happy with my ability to know what God is saying to me. I want more. I want more. All right. So let's, let's look and see where we're at here. Now we got, we, we, we start at number 12 and we go all the way to peace. Okay. So here in, the, in these three, I don't know that you can put these next few of them in any particular order, but we need a sense of desperation and hunger. We need to seek God's face. We need to humble ourselves by fasting and praying. We need to seek God's word. When we do all those things, it's going to lead us to the next steps of confession and repentance because we're going to see what areas that we didn't carry out righteousness and justice in our own lives. And when we start doing that and we start fixing ourselves, then we're going to be in a position to to, to pray for justice in our nation and righteousness in our nation. And we're going to be in a position to pray that God would judge the false leaders of this earth. And then ultimately the shalom reign of Jesus can come. All right. Just got one more step we've got to take. There's another set of conditions. Um, what is it? What, and, and I don't know if I'm putting these two together correctly, but you tell me what you think and, and, and just think about it and ponder. I, I was thinking, what, what pushes us to the sense of desperation? And I can tell you what's pushing me to the sense of desperation right now. And this, you, you can find this in John chapter 15. So in John 15... Verses seven and eight, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want. What's the next words? And it will be granted. I will give it to you. You may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. See, this bothers me. Does this this verse bother you? This bothers me because I've seen God answer some prayers. I've seen God do some good things. I I don't think I would describe it as much fruit. i describe it as some fruit. I'm not happy with that because I'm reading this and it says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. What does the opposite imply? (sighs) Yeah, yeah, It, it seems to me Like a measure for whether or not we're truly a disciple of Jesus is by whether we're seeing fruit. And Jesus defines fruit by answer prayer. I mean, you ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. Now, again, we talked about the promises of God. There's always conditions. There's always conditions of the promise. And even in this this very passage, there's three conditions that he gives. Um, One is he says, abide in Jesus, remain in him. And if you study the book of John, you'll see that Jesus equates that to his relationship with the Father. I abide in the Father, the Father in me. I in the Father, the Father in me. And then later on, um, Jesus is saying that to the disciples. Just as I am in the Father and the Father is in me, so you be in me and I in you. You know. So he's. this is theologically, this is the word Okay. This is a, an intimate union relationship where it becomes blurry where the distinctions are between God and me. It becomes blurry of what it is about me that's Jesus and what it is about me. It should become that. It should be. So abide in Jesus. And so I'm, you know, I, I, I got some growth to do. I've got growth. I, I, I've got growth to do and how to abide in Jesus better. If you obey my commandments, that's another, that's another condition. So, again, you know, I mean, if you're not doing the stuff, you know, don't expect the rewards, right? And then he also says love one another. Love one another. There's other conditions in the Bible. You know, if we do it for the right motives, for God's kingdom and not for our own measure, motives, not for our own pleasures. We have to pray according to God's will. We have to confess our sins. We have to, sometimes it's praying in agreement with others. You know, maybe there's times where I'm supposed to be linked with one specific person in, of you. And the two of us are supposed to come together and pray in agreement. And if we are not a praying church, then that's not going to happen. If we are a praying church where we are constantly talking about prayer. And the conversations that go on before and after our services and the conversations that go on throughout the week are, what is God doing in your life? What is God showing you? What is the burden on your heart? And that becomes natural and comfortable for us because I believe that's what disciples do. If that becomes natural and comfortable, then then we're probably going to start praying with each other for things a whole lot more, right? And who knows? Who knows? You know, if I need healing, maybe one of you is the person that God has lined up for that. Because he wants, to do, un, he wants to unlock something in your life at the same time. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. That's what he said when Adam was created, right? He wants us together. He wants community. Community is beautiful. All right, so this, this bothers me, and I hope it bothers you. And if you haven't thought about it, I hope, I, I hope I've messed you up now, okay? Um, th- th- this concept of am I bearing much fruit? Because that's what I want. That's what I want. I read the stories of people like Smith Wigglesworth, um, Catherine Coleman, John G. Lake. These were people who had such a powerful anointing of God that they could walk into a room and people would just break into repentance because of their presence. I'm not there yet. And I'm not good with that. I'm not good with that. I want to be there. It's one of the things that's on my list for prayer. If you haven't done this, I'd suggest going into this period of fast that you make a list of things that you're going to be seeking God for. Seek God for that list. And then seek him through the list. All right. So here's what I think um, drives us to the desperation that's going to move us all along. And that's unanswered prayers. That's where I'm at right now. That's where I'm at. Unanswered prayers. It's point number three. So if we get the the full 12-step list, we're ready for that. So we start with problems. Problems are good. Did you know that? Problems are opportunities for us to turn to God. Problems are opportunities for us to join one another and and to come into community. Problems are opportunities for us to experience a new level of life together. So we have problems that drives us to prayer, but then we have prayers that aren't answered the way that we're wanting them. And I hope that drives us to be desperate. And I hope that desperation and hunger drives us to seek God in a newer, better way. So as we go into this period of fasting, this is something I like to really challenge you on. This is what I'm challenging myself on. I believe that the righteousness and justice of God can be established here on earth. Maybe, like I said earlier, maybe it's because, you know, Jesus is just going to snatch us out of here and then come fix things on his own. I'm, I'm, I don't want to work for that. I, I just, that's not what I want. And we sang saying that earlier, like a bride waiting for her groom. We'll be a church ready for you. When I get to my wedding day with Jesus... I want them to be pleased. I, I, I don't want it to be a big jump. I don't want to be like living down here and now all of a sudden we're up here. I, I want to be there. I want to be there and then it's a little step. <laughs> that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for this world. Lord God, Lord God, I believe with all my heart that you are good, that you are mighty, that you are powerful, that you are the solution to all of the world's problems. When it comes to injustice, we recognize that we are guilty of it ourselves. We've done it wrong. And there's some things that we can never make right. There's some things that we can't. There's some things that we can't. But Jesus, I think of you on the cross, your arms stretched out and your blood pouring down. You were there for me. You were there to absorb the injustice that I had committed in this world. You were there to absorb my sin. And you were there to absorb the sins of the world. You are the solution. Your forgiveness, your salvation, your healing, your filling, your empowerment, you are the solution. You are the solution to our world's problems. So, Lord Jesus, draw us close to you. Reveal to us the depths of who we are and what we are. Help us to know what you think of us. And help us to define ourselves by that and that alone. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. That's the only truth I need to know is what you think. So, Lord, as we humble ourselves and as we seek you over this coming 40-day period of time... Reveal yourself to us. Draw us close to you. Help us to know you in a newer and a deeper way. Help us to know your voice. Help us to know your word. Help us to know your love. Fill us with your compassion. Your passion for every lost soul. Help us to never, ever, ever again be okay with people around us slipping into the gates of hell. With people around us bound by addictions by hopelessness, by poverty, by brokenness, by broken relationships. Help us never, ever to be good with that because you are not good with that. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Lord, that's your heart, and I pray that you will give that to us as our heart. So change me, Lord God. Change me. Change us. Change our nation. To You be all the glory. All the power forever and ever. Amen.
1: Well, I can't I can't think of a better message going into our fast than what you just heard. The Lord really set us up for that, didn't he? Thank you, Pastor Dan. That was awesome, awesome. I've got my twelve points and I'm going through them. So true. So true. You know, we have to care for others. And I was reading even this morning in my office, By they're coming out. It's so ironic. I uh, was reading about the nation of Israel and what happened whenever, you know, that God would send a godly leader and the leader would die. And then, you know, they would go back into sin. Then he'd send a godly leader and the leader would die and go back into sin. And finally, the people just said, just give us a king. So they were looking to a person, like you said to solve the problem that only God can solve. And that's where our nation is at. We're looking for a political party to solve a problem that only God can solve. As the church goes, so goes the nation. And the church is supposed to have the answer to the world's problems. And we do have the answer. We do have the answer. So uh, Wednesday night, we'll be continuing as we move closer to our fast. We'll have one uh, final Wednesday night talking about our fast and talking about fasting in general. And um, maybe Pastor Dan will share some more things that he's been sh- uh, learning in his, his reading that he's been doing. And also, uh, Saturday, we're hosting the return here. So we want you to please be a part of that. Come. We're going to be open from 9 to 9. So we'll be sharing that. And that's a time of just uh, people going into the nation's capital, praying, worshiping God. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of great speakers there. And so it's just going to be a wonderful time to come together. You may not be able to do 12 hours, but... Do what you can, okay? So, Father, we just thank you for this great word. Thank you, Father God, for the anointing upon Dan as he ministered to us, Lord, your word of truth. Thank you, Father God, that that word gets engrafted into our hearts. It's the engrafted word that saves our souls. We thank you, Father God, for what you're going to do in our lives. And, Lord, we just just lift our time of fasting to you. Father, we want to do, we want to fast, Lord, so we can be closer to you. We can be more like you. We want to think like you. We want to walk like you. We want to act like you. We want to speak like you. We don't want to do anything unless, Lord, you're telling us to do it. God, we want to be that close to you. God, we we just want to know you in a deeper way. And, Father, we thank you, Lord, as you lead each of us individually and then you lead us corporately together as a body. In the mighty name of Jesus, be blessed.